our sermon reading for this morning is the Gospel, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Please stand as we honor the Gospel in its reading. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This too is God's word. You may be seated. Happy Epiphany and Merry Christmas. We're about two weeks now removed from Christmas, and I'm going to take a guess and say that all of the presents have been opened, the toys have been played with, and by this point, maybe even the toys have been discarded, and we're on to the next best thing. Two weeks away from Christmas, the, the garland has probably been taken off the walls and stuffed into the tote box, and the box has been jammed into the attic, and the Christmas tree has been uprooted and thrown into the backyard. Two weeks removed from Christmas. If you got a gift maybe that, that you weren't a big fan of and you've probably already been to the UPS store to take it back and ship it back to Amazon and, and maybe they've already processed your return, you got the money back and you've already spent it because we are a whopping two weeks removed from Christmas. So why am I wishing you a Merry Christmas? Maybe you're at that point where you go, you know what, Pastor? We're kind of on to like Valentine's Day now and the, the peace chili cook-off. We don't, we don't really need the Christmas stuff anymore. But today, Epiphany isn't its own thing. Epiphany is a celebration of one of the, one of the key truths of Christmas. That truth that, that Christmas isn't just for God's chosen people from the Old Testament, the the prophecies kept for a very specific group of people know Christmas, the celebration that we've been, been having for 12 days, is for you. And so in many ways, Epiphany is not some throwaway holiday. Epiphany is your holiday. And we get to see it celebrated in some really cool verses that we have in front of us today from Matthew. Just a little background on the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience. 
based on some of the words and the explanations that we see in the Gospel of Matthew, we, we see that that's the one of the four, four Gospels that was written with, with just Jewish people in mind, speaking kind of a language that, that people that knew the Jewish customs and had a, had a rich background in that life would understand extraordinarily well. And isn't that funny how Christ is born and then as Matthew addresses this primarily Jewish audience, the absolute next story that he tells about the birth of Christ is a story that has nothing to do with Jewish people. A story about these magi who, who came from, from the east and, and came to worship a savior who, who maybe they had just recently known and understood. It's really neat to see how Matthew says, yes, certainly this is for this small group of people that have been waiting on God's promises for thousands of years. But it's also for the people that maybe just found out about them 15 minutes ago. Yes, Epiphany shows us that God doesn't have some type of horse blinders and, and he's not really looking around at the rest of the world. He's just looking at a few specific people. God has everyone in his focus. So how did these magi wind up in the story of Jesus? What makes these, these men so important? You see them here in our nativity scene and they've got the crowns on and, and they've got the, the gifts. And maybe you've heard them referred to as wise men. Or maybe you've heard them referred to as kings. Maybe you've even heard them referred to as magicians. We're not 100% sure what their standing was, but we do know a few things about them. Based on the context of, of the rest of scripture and, and some parts of Daniel chapter 2, we would guess that the Magi, they were not kings. The Magi, although may have been looked at as wise people back in the day, didn't have the wisdom that scripture brings to them, so maybe they weren't so wise and if they were these, these magician types, well, certainly at this point they had turned their back on that, that pagan stuff and, and had turned towards a savior that they, need, they knew they needed. Yes, the magi are symbolic of, of so many of us with different, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different things that have gone on in our pasts. And yet these magi who, who seem to have a very limited understanding as to what's going on here, they, they had to be sent off by King Herod to, to finish the journey and actually find the place where Jesus laid. These magi have a part in God's story. Check out their, their limited knowledge. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and, and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We know pretty little about what led the Magi to, to Jerusalem that day. We can assume a couple of different things. One, that that star that rose in the sky, that's not natural. The fact that it led them to a very distinct place, that, that's the hand of God working. And second, we can assume that these men did their research. 
that they researched the prophecies and the things that the, the Jewish people had written down and, and preserved and venerated because they seemed to have quite a few details that you might not expect them to have. These magi from, from a faraway place who maybe had never been to Jerusalem before, had never seen the temple with their own eyes. These magi find a primary location in the story of salvation. I think sometimes we as sinful human beings, when we see people, we try to kind of fit them into their own little categories. For example, you, you might walk up to somebody and you, you talk to them for the first time and, and you very quickly understand whether or not that person is, is a Christian. Maybe you look at the person and they're a Christian and it seems like they've got their life together, they're holding a steady job. Everything seems to be just perfect in their life. Or so you think. Or maybe you, you put somebody in, into another category and you go, yeah, they've got, uh, they've got their Christian faith, but, but that's about it. Things don't seem to be going well in their lives. It seems as if they're, they're running into one mess after another. And so you put them in that category of Christian, but needs some work. Your sinful brain does that anyway. Or maybe you, you talk to somebody and, and they, you know that they don't have faith in Jesus, but they seem like a really nice person. It seems like they've got things figured out for the most part, but, but faith is completely absent Maybe our sinful thought immediately goes to, well, this person is prime picking for God. I don't know what God's doing if he hasn't brought this person into the faith yet. Or maybe you categorize somebody in that far, far column. Irredeemable. Too far lost. As I was driving here, I drove by a car that was driving towards me and the front of their, their bumper said a naughty word that would never be repeated in this room. And I thought, that's, that's what you want people to know about you? And I couldn't help but think that word, irredeemable. You are not the type of person that would ever step foot in a church, are you? We do that to people, don't we? We put them in those categories and we say, these people maybe could have a shot at it. And these, these people now, I mean, come on, they need a miracle. Without realizing that we needed the miracle. Without realizing that each and every one of us should have been seen as too far gone. Completely lost, no shot, 0% chance. And then Christ did the impossible. He took these unsuspecting people the same way that he, he appears to these unsuspecting wise men. And he stands as their savior and king. They were coming to see this new king of the Jews and they didn't even realize at the time that it was a king for all people. Brothers and sisters, you have a king for all people. For the irredeemable. For the oppressed. For the ones that you would look at, the person with the naughty word on the front of their license plate. The king reigns for that person. 
No one too far to find. That's epiphany. That all nations, all creeds, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, the Savior appears for them. It's cool, in this, in this reading, we get to see how God appears to these, these people that you would never expect him to. But also how he gets them to the bedside of their Savior with means that are just beyond comprehension. Did you notice how they got there? Through King Herod. Just a quick little backstory on King Herod. King Herod was known as a really pragmatic ruler. He was very good. He, he helped during a famine. He led his people out of the famine. He was very good when it came to building projects. He was this very pragmatic leader who also had a streak of anger in him. He was known for being rather oppressive to kind of keep his, his people underneath his thumb. And it's told to us by historians that as Herod began to age and, and we find him in this reading in his advanced stage of life that he started to go a little crazy. And he was full of rage and anger and paranoia. And so the moment that he hears that there's this new king that has come, what else could he do but decide to eliminate him? And so that's what he does. That's what he's trying to accomplish. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, the, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. From the later verses, we know that's not true. He had no intention of going to worship him. He had every intention of going to kill him. Herod, with this evil, dastardly plan, killing Christ, the most anti-Christian thing you could imagine, sends these magi off to go find their Savior. Yes, God even used King Herod. We see that throughout scripture, don't we? Last week, uh, my father-in-law was here preaching and, and he spoke about Rahab. And for some of us who might need a little bit of a backstory on Rahab, she was, she was a prostitute in the city of Jericho when the people of Israel came to take the land that God had promised to them. And through the spies that were sent into the city, God brought her into the fold. God finds irredeemable people and redeems them. And God uses impossible situations and he makes faith possible. It's been a very cool experience in my first months as a pastor. One of the things you learn very quickly is that as you talk to people, oftentimes they tell you how they came to faith. Sometimes it was at the font when they were itty-bitty babies, little children, and their parents brought them to the baptismal font, and faith was worked in their hearts, and they grew up in the faith, and, and they never left it. And for other people, the story is extraordinarily different. Maybe struggle with addiction 
brings them to rock bottom and the only place they can turn is to a savior who still loves them. Maybe it's a, a spouse that has, has nagged their, their, their spouse day after day, year after year, decade after decade, saying, come to church with me, come to church with me, come to church with me, and they finally relent. Everyone has a different backstory for how they wind up at the foot of the cross, but, but the important thing is, is that we wind up at the foot of the cross. We wind up knowing who our Savior is. And the one thing that is true of every single one of those stories is God using people in this world to bring the word of God to the lost. God could use Herod. King Herod, naively, this bumbling, angry man was used to bring the Magi closer to God. Why couldn't God use you? You might say, I, I don't have the words for it. When I get into a conversation about my faith, I, I just kind of drop all my words on the ground and I just look at him and I say, I got nothing left. If God could use King Herod, why not you? If God could rescue you, being the mess that you are. If your savior can be the savior of your pastor, the mess that he is, how are we not able to bring that savior to the person who's waiting on us over at Mellow Mushroom? How, how can we not bring the savior to the person that details our car? If God could use Herod to direct the Magi to the place where Christ would be born, if he can use him in that story, why can't he use you? It's one of the true blessings of being a part of, of a national church body. We're a church, we're a part of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. And for a lot of us, maybe, maybe we're very new to that and, and we don't know what that means. Well, today I'll tell you one thing that that does mean. It means that when we give our money here at church, some of that money goes to the church body. And that church body takes that money and goes to places where you and I could never go and brings the gospel to people that you and I could never meet. We have places over in Malawi, Africa right now that are booming. You might look around here and you go, wow, it seems like Christianity is dying, but look no further than Vietnam and find a place where the gospel is flourishing. Because God has used the efforts of people like you, the resources of people like you, to take Bibles and send people over to be that light in a dark world. To tell every nation of this world that Christ is not, Christ is not exclusive. That Christ is indeed for them. We have that incredible privilege of being able to look outside of ourselves. So maybe that should be a resolution for 2023. To see every single interaction for exactly what it is. An opportunity. Not to, not to rub somebody's nose in the fact that they haven't been to church in the last 20 years. 
but instead to point them to the reason for the joy and the hope and the peace and the life that you have. Christ came for all nations. For all of us irredeemable people. I was talking to my brother this weekend, or this last week, and, and he and I were talking about this, this simple truth that I think a lot of the times churches overlook or underexpress. The people sitting next to you, brothers and sisters, have their baggage. They have their stuff. They have their gross sins. The person standing in front of you today has his baggage. He's got his stuff. He's got his gross sins. That's one thing that unites every single one of us. But in Christ, we're united in a very different way as well. The person you sit next to today is a redeemed child of God. The person sitting in the back that you've never, ever gotten a chance to talk to is a redeemed child of God. That's what epiphany is all about. No matter the background, no matter where you came from, Christ says, I'm here. And I want you to be mine forever. Amen.